Song of the sin. Oh. 
peacock graves A mighty river flowing upward From a deep but empty grave Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back with you. I do apologize. It's a little bit darker, but uh, it's early morning. But we say welcome. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org, hopeforvermont.org. We got back from celebrating my nephew's graduation. So, Jared, congratulations on graduating high school. I do have to admit, you beat me one-on-one, but the only time you will ever hear this is if you're awake at 6.30 a.m. or if somebody shares the YouTube link with you as well. But Jared, congratulations. We're proud of you and uh, so happy for you. And Jen, we continue to pray for you. It was great seeing um, family yesterday. And for those that have been praying, my brother's wife, Jen, uh, has been battling stage four colon cancer that has advanced to her liver. And on the 14th, she has surgery to remove uh, that cancer and about 60% of her liver. So if you could keep them in your prayers, it'd be most appreciated. My brother, Jamie, his wife, Jen, their uh, eldest son is Tyler, Jared, and then their daughter is Caitlin. And uh, we thank you for all of your prayers and commitment to uh, journeying with us as a family, the Fuller family, through the last year and a half. It has not been easy, but it's been uh, great to know that we, we are not alone. Uh, as we continue this morning, we certainly say thank you. Thank you for being a part. You can subscribe on YouTube, Living Hope Wesleyan Church. Uh, also on the church Facebook page, it's the same as Twitter at Hope for Vermont. Uh, Living Hope Wesleyan on Instagram as well as that's our podcast, Living Hope Wesleyan as well. The call, call to worship is from James. Uh, James, I do not have it correctly here, so we will here find it here. James 1, 2 through 5. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In verse 5, if you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. 
amen and amen. And I certainly need God's wisdom over and over and over. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for this opportunity to worship. We thank you for this opportunity to connect online, though it's a struggle, though it's early, though it's being separated by miles and not being able to see faces or hear voices or uh, give hugs. We thank you that you are with us, that your presence is everywhere. We thank you, God, that you are good. So we lift up those in need. We lift up those that are celebrating. We lift up us that we might rest in your wisdom and your help. We thank you, Father, for being here, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, amen and amen once more as we continue. Uh, please subscribe on YouTube, Living Hope Wesleyan Church. Uh, the church Facebook page, as I mentioned, is the same as Twitter, at Hope for Vermont, and Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, the same as Instagram, at Living Hope Wesleyan. You can find the uh, icon, this little picture there, where it says, you are loved, you are not alone, you are in good company. We, as the body of Christ, the family of God, have a responsibility to be vulnerable, but also to hold one one another accountable. And though it's difficult, it's great to know that we are walking this journey together as we follow Jesus. So let us follow him and uh, encourage one another. A few announcements we have. We just want to uh, share that uh, Kids Packs are available now at the in-person worship gathering, Cross Brook Middle School, 9 a.m., I believe last week I said 9 p.m., but uh, it is at 9 a.m. at Crossbrook Middle School. That's Duxbury, Vermont. I encourage you to be a part as you're able. Invite your friends, neighbors to come and rejoice with us that we are forgiven, that his salvation is real, and that we have a hope and a peace that God can give even in the middle of 2022. We have a peace, and his name is Jesus. Um, as we just think about this summer, we are reminded of the different events that take place, and we would love to have your contact information. You can simply text me your email address, not the one that I send spam messages to, but text me your email address. You see my number there, and uh, we'd love to keep you up to date on all the events taking place this summer, of which you are invited to my daughter's graduation party at Hope Davy next Saturday. That's the 12th of no, that's the 11th. So Saturday at 4 o'clock at Hope Davy, you're invited to celebrate my daughter's graduation, and uh, we look forward to that time as well. Free Coffee Tuesday, that continues, 7 to 9 a.m. here at the Chapel Campus, 5793 Waterbury Still Road, Waterbury Center 05677. It's been a great opportunity for us to uh, show that the body of Christ cares for you, our neighbors and friends, and we just want to encourage them to stop by and just get a cup of free coffee. God cares for uh, you and uh, we care for you as well. So thank you so much for praying for this ministry, this outreach. Adam's been a tremendous asset, had some uh, very good, genuine conversations with people that have stopped by, and we're just so grateful for that as well. Well, as we continue uh, today, the memory verse is from the call to worship. It's from James, James 1, 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So once more, James 1.5, if you need wisdom, which I would suggest we all do, ask our generous God, generous. He's not stingy. He's not holding back, but he is ginger, generous, waiting for us to ask, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And one final time, James 1.5, I heard repetition is a great way to memorize. We're commanded, told to hide God's word in our heart, and a great way to do that is to memorize 
the Bible. From the New Living Translation, James 1.5, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Amen and amen. As we continue, we go into our prayer time, and there are several prayer requests. As I mentioned before, my sister-in-law, Jen, on the 14th, has surgery to remove the cancer in her colon as well as 60% of her liver. There are others that are going through um, troubling times. And again, I can't reiterate enough how fortunate we are to have the body of Christ to call on, to intercede, but Jesus that is with us, that we are hidden with him and God. We find his peace. It's not just something we say on Sunday, but something that during the treatment, during the visit, during the recovery time alone in our own room, we know his presence is real. And so as you have needs, please type those in the comment section. You can email those directly to myself, pastor at hopeforvermont.org, pastor at hopeforvermont, spelled out, dot org. You can let Stacy Granfield know who leads our prayer ministry. If you would like to be added to the uh, email prayer chain, please let us know how we can bear one another's burdens. We can mourn with you. We can rejoice with you. And finally, I do ask for your prayers as we prepare for two memorial services the end of the month for Wayne Lafley and for Ed Brown as we remember them, as we celebrate their lives, as those that come to grieve are reminded of your great hope. So just pray as we have those services and those families just have those feelings and emotions kind of stirred back up uh, as we think about them. And as you have other requests, as I mentioned, just type those in the comment section or email those to pastorhopeforvermont.org. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are good. Even though we don't understand it, perhaps we haven't even experienced it, we can reflect and look back at your word and trust your promise that you will complete it. So here we are. Use us. Here we are declaring how desperate we are for you. Here we are full of questions and wonder. And even as we wander, we thank you that you never leave us, that you speak to us, that you help us, you guide us, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. So may we dare enough to believe in a way where we courageously follow you, where we trust you. Father, for those that are mourning, bring joy in the sorrow. For those that are celebrating, may we continue to be reminded that it is you keep us humble. And Father, for your peace, may we present it to those we come in contact with, who we see in the grocery store, who we meet at the post office, wherever we go. May we just declare the hope that you've given us that's available for them. We dare say we love you. We thank you for loving us, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. What a great reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus. And part of that hope is a great thanksgiving for your obedience as you give your tithes and offerings, whether in the offering bags or mailing it to the church, whether it's at uh, hopeforvermont.org, the Be Generous tab, or mailing checks to 5793 Waterbury Still Road, Waterbury Center, Vermont 05677. It helped us this week uh, help a couple families. One family was in great need. The single mom had COVID. The uh, children were sick. 
and it helped us present a gift card to them and purchase dinner for them. And another uh, single mom with children was out of gasoline. And so we were able to put in $40 worth of gasoline into her vehicle to help her get back and forth to work. So the question is, are we just giving fish or are we teaching them to fish? I don't know. I just know that God's provided us some resources to help people and we believe that he will connect the dots. The Holy Spirit is wooing them and we can help others know his love by our generous acts because he is generous and we are to be like him. So thank you so much for your giving and tithes and offerings and being used of God in that way. Well, as we prepare for Adam to lead us again, I just wanted to play this song by Dave and Bethany Club. It is still, and if there is ever a time, this is a time where we can know that he is good and just be still resting in his presence. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that he is God.
Good morning. Hello, I'm Adam McCutcheon. This is my second sermon being at Living Hope Wesleyan, and I'm excited to preach to you today. Today's passage is John 1 through 8. My sermon title is Even the Worst People. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. God, Holy Spirit and Son, I ask that you would empower my words today to minister to your people and to show your kindness and your goodness and your true nature today. Amen. 
I go to a school, a college, a little over an hour from Rochester, and I'm on the track and field team. COVID regulations have been not the most fun thing in the world at, at this time, but it's, it's involved wearing masks while we run and do workouts, and it's been pretty awful, but they've lightened up over the past few months. And recently, all, all that really has to happen now is whenever you get COVID or get close contact, you have to go into quarantine, which means you go to a room by yourself for about five days and not talk to anybody. Recently, I got an email saying I was a close contact and I had to self-isolate by myself, isolate for five days. I was pretty bummed out by this because it was finals week and I had a big track meet coming up. So the next day I got a negative test. And I was like, I don't need to quarantine. So I didn't quarantine. Just went about my day. I wasn't supposed to be going to classes or practice or anything, but I continued to do so. I missed the meet the next day because I wasn't allowed to go. Five, four days passed. Then suddenly I got an email saying I was close contacted again. And I was like, shoot, that's another five days. So I texted my coach. And he said, how did you get close contacted if you were supposed to be self-isolating? And I was struck with the moment knowing I have sinned. I'm in the wrong right now. And I, I tried to avoid the question and I went around in circles and it was like, well, I don't know. Like I kind of walked by some people at this one point, then eventually it got out of me that I haven't been self-isolating. Anyway, coach was really mad. He said I was irresponsible and I had put unnecessary strain on the team, potentially limiting other people from going because I might have had COVID. And it wasn't a great time and it, it made me feel sick to my stomach. So I ended up um, apologizing to the team. I'm sure all of you have experienced this one time or another, an experience similar to this. You get found out while doing something bad or sinful, and your first thought is to just avoid punishment, avoid the pain. I remember walking outside my house and seeing a bear in my garbage. As soon as that bear saw me, it bolted to the woods because it knew it was not supposed to be in my garbage. This is one of my least favorite feelings in the world, I think, getting caught in sin. Knowing that you have been irresponsible and will have to take responsibility for the consequences of your actions. Having experienced this kind of embarrassment and this kind of shame that comes with this, I can only imagine what the woman felt that was being dragged out by Pharisees and scribes in the middle of the square to Jesus. In the midst of her sin, she was blatantly caught. She was given no option to try to avoid consequences having lost all sense of control and facing all the responsibility at once for her wrongful actions. She was at the mercy of the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus. If you have not been caught doing anything sinful, good for you, or maybe you need to go confess. But the first impulse is to be like the bear and sprint for the woods. There are consequences to sin, and it is natural for us to want to avoid those consequences. In high school, I played the drums, and me and my friend liked to go to the band room and practice and jam. But one thing 
one thing about it was we needed a teacher to be there. And one day there was no teacher there, but we really wanted to go jam. So we went and jammed anyway. And at a certain point, because music is really loud, a teacher walked by and was like, what are you doing here? And my friend, I, I went silent because I knew we were doing something wrong. And my one friend said, we have special permission. She said, okay, suspiciously and walked away. That didn't sit well with me. So I ended up going to apologize later, but you can see the human tendency to avoid pain, avoid suffering and avoid consequences. My friend said we had special permission because he didn't want to face up to the fact that we were doing something wrong and that could potentially cause us pain. Often we will remain in our sin for this reason, because we're too scared of the consequences. Sin will remain in our lives because we will not, we do not want to own up to the responsibility of owning up to what we have done. If you've ever experienced one of these situations, you can imagine how the woman felt. She was literally caught in the act of adultery. I don't think it gets much worse than that. She's being dragged around by people that want to use her and has not even a shred of hope of talking her way out like my friend did. As much as we have all been the woman caught in sin, we have also been the Pharisees. People that claim to be administering justice but do not include crucial parts of the story that lead to true justice. Like in the case of this man, or like in the case, in this case, where is the man? If the woman was caught in the act of adultery, there had to be someone else there participating in the act. The law requires that both man and woman stand trial, not just the woman. Yet the Pharisees knew who the man was, and they only brought the woman to trial. What was worse is that they were using that woman not to proclaim justice or administer justice. They were using her to blame and condemn Jesus in any way that they could. The Pharisees call something justice just because they want it. They use that woman who was probably scared out of her mind to test Jesus. I see people do this all the time. People live in sin and justify themselves saying, oh, I'm better than that person. Or they focus on another problem in the world and act like their sin doesn't matter because that sin is so big. They don't take responsibility for themselves. When we condemn, it is always unjustified in light of our own sin. Yet we do it time and time again and overlook our sin. This one person I knew would seem to always upset people that were around. Disclaimer, this is probably not anyone watching this. But she would criticize me very consistently, analyze me, manipulate me, and lie to me and other people in my life. She would curse at you if you made a wrong move or a bad move in a board game And she did a lot more things like that that I'm not going to mention. 
one night I was so angry at her. I said, ah, like, mm. I just wanted to go over there and punch her in the face because she, she said something to me over text that made me sad, angry, tried to manipulate me. And how dare she? That's all I could think. How dare she treat me that way? I paced around my room, and I could have been very reactive, but thankfully it was over text. So I was able to have some downtime and settle, and I, I screamed, God, help me. Meanwhile, I was about to explode. Eventually, because of time passing and God working in my heart, I calmed down. God humbled me, and I was able to send a text that valued her. This was hard, though. The situation was tense, and my anger was raging, but when I took time, I was able to stop and remember how imperfect I was. How I was equally responsible for mistakes that had been made of this nature. I think Jesus makes the Pharisees take on a similar responsibility in verse 7. When Jesus says, let him who was without sin, throw the first stone at her. You can imagine the silence that followed. The Pharisees were looking for a reactive Jesus who would fire back and say something that they could use in court against him. But instead, he stopped. He knelt down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger. It reminds me of when I grew up and got into arguments with my peers or my friends or my brothers. I was so bad at arguments because as soon as any critical thinking came along, I would forget what the conversation was about or it would take me too long to think. The other person would walk away thinking they had won the argument and say, hurrah. And I was left there still processing, mad that I was not able to give a better argument or pa argue more passionately. I've learned though, that what seemed to be a detriment was actually God giving me the ability to stop and to listen. Instead of just reacting immediately, instead of heated debates, I was left alone to think about the conversation and environment a lot less heated and emotion-driven than right in the middle of an argument. In those more peaceful moments, I came to a better clarity and understanding because I was not swept up by the energy and the emotion of heated debate. Just like my slow processing skills have helped my humility, so stopping and listening will bring clarity. Just like Jesus shows, the first thing we need to do in these situations, when we want to blame and condemn, is to stop and listen. The next thing we need to do is examine ourselves. Let the one who is without sin throw the first stone, Jesus said. I think often, subconsciously, we get to a point where we put ourselves on a pedestal above other people. Thinking we are not really that bad, at least in comparison to that person or that person over there. I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to alcohol. I don't commit adultery. I don't have sex before marriage or outside of that context. We can butter ourselves up as being better 
than everyone else and take the seat of judgment on the throne of God and condemn instead of taking responsibility for our own lives. I think it is very interesting how the older ones left first. Living a longer life, I think, I, I haven't done it yet, but I think it gives more opportunity to reflect. And when asked to stop and think back to their own sin and their own mistakes, I think they couldn't overlook the complexity of their lives and how much sin had been a part of it. I think if we would just pay attention to how much grace we actually have been shown and how blessed we are, we would have considerably more empathy for those who are hurt and broken. We are called to kneel before God when wanting to be reactive. We are called to wish God's grace upon and love the hurt and the broken, even if they try to hurt and break us. It is a lot easier said than done, but it is a lot more like Christ. When we condemn, we miss God's call for our lives. Blaming, blaming is not our call. In verses 9 and 10, we see that Jesus, the only the one and only person with the right to condemn and to blame and everything else shows that what's most important to him is grace. For he could have been just like the Pharisees and reacted, blamed, and condemned, and yet he knelt. He forgave, he empowered, and he loved. A good question to ask is, have we been Jesus in this situation? Yes, we have been the Pharisees, and yes, we have been the woman, but have we been Jesus in situations like these? The opportunity is there for condemnation, but we recognize the fallenness of this world and how many people just get caught up in it, including ourselves. My favorite part of this passage is when Jesus kneels down and writes in the sand. There's no record of what he actually wrote, but my favorite theory of what this means goes back to the giving of the law of Moses. It talks about how in Deuteronomy 9.10, Moses received the tablets of the law that had been written with the finger of God. That very same finger that was writing the Old Testament law, is back now and is writing again. He's very subtly saying, I am God Almighty, the writer of this law, and with all my power, I will humble myself and give grace to this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus shows how the whole purpose and intention of writing the law which he wrote was for greater and more fulfilling love. 
The same God that wrote the law in the first place meant to empower the people of Israel to be his people, not to condemn them for breaking the law, but to bless them when they followed it. He wrote it for the purposes of empowering his people to greater love and into greater intimacy. In verse 11, Jesus shows that it is not that sin does not matter anymore. It is that we are now empowered to be free from sin. He makes a powerful statement about who has the right to condemn, saying, which one of you is not sinned? And then he gives us an example of our opportunity to empower. What he did was so much different than just letting sin slide. He helped her come to a place where she would be more likely to take responsibility for her sin by saying, go and sin no more. He let her go saying, there is a second chance. I do not condemn you. Sin does that all on its own. Here God shows that he does not desire to condemn people. He wants to be closer to them. He made the law so that the Israelites would be closer to him and be able to make that decision to follow him or to not. He died on the cross so that all people of all nations in the world might be closer to him and sin no more. Sin gives us a choice between being closer to God and straying farther from him. In this passage, Jesus does not condemn because sin already does that. Excuse me. Often when we condemn, there is no legitimate concern for the person. We are condemning. Excuse me again. Imagine the different perspectives that could be laid out in the example of someone stealing a loaf of bread. A homeless person that came that is deathly starving. They have no other option and no, will, no one will help them. They steal a loaf of bread to stay alive. Not that that action is right. Then you see maybe the baker furious that someone stole his bread saying, how dare you? Problem with that is the baker only condemns, he only blames and does not consider the circumstances of the person that was so deathly hungry that they were driven to steal bread. If we begin to, like Jesus showed us, to take responsibility for ourselves and how we have been forgiven, we can begin to act in the humility that comes from being loved by God. He loved you when you sinned. He loved you when you did not love Him. He loved you when you were annoying, unattractive, disgusting, and hateful. He loved you and expects that you do the same. 
Have you ever noticed that the very people that need love the most are the very people we reject first? There was no discussion of why that woman was committing adultery. She was being judged and condemned by the Pharisees because of the fruit of her actions, which will eventually happen because of sin in the end. I have known a lot of people who were socially awkward because they didn't have parents that believed in them or that were together. And because of the social awkwardness, they were pushed away from social groups and anything that might be beneficial to actually helping them be more loving and be more healthy. And I think as Christians, we do that a lot more than we realize. A person that is annoying is often just a person that has a lack of love in their lives. The people that are mean, manipulative, or awkward are often just the people that are the most broken. And again, are the person, the, the people that we reject the quickest. We need to learn to stop and take responsibility for our own sin. And be able to say, I am unworthy of condemning another. But I have the responsibility to take the opportunity to love these broken people. We have the opportunity to love them by gently helping them become aware and responsible for the ways they become outcasted in social groups or become awkward or treat people negatively. We can simply be with them. We can listen to them. We can empathize with them and rejoice with them and whatever circumstances merit. We are called to love them. But another loving thing to do along with that is to set up boundaries. Broken people are rejected for a reason. They're often draining. But to stand in the tension of loving a person that drains you, but also setting up boundaries so that you can adequately love them is what Jesus has in mind. Just as Jesus stands in the tension of the circle of people that want to judge and want to blame and want to condemn, he stands out and he provides her with encouragement. He pays attention to her he empathizes with her, but he also encourages her to grow and to be healthy. We can be upfront, saying no when something is too much, or bring to attention what has been draining you. This may not work out in the immediate sense, but most of the time there is a significant value in engaging with broken people. And more importantly, it is what the Bible calls us to do. Instead of blaming, Jesus calls his church to lead his people into greater intimacy with him. This fall, I had a job as an RA from my dorm. And I had a resident who frustrated me a lot. He showed up, didn't have his, his paperwork done, and then yelled at me for, me for not adequately turning in his paperwork. He, want, he didn't want a chair in his room, so he left it in the hallway. And I said, bro, you can't leave this chair in the hallway. And he yelled at me again. And there were several more occasions like that. I became frustrated with him, 
And as his RA, I started to avoid him, which is not the best RA move. A month into school, he ended up leaving because he felt like college wasn't for him. Then about a month after that, I found out he had gone to a ski lift and jumped off. They said it was suicide. I was so taken back because I had no idea he was struggling with anything like that. All I knew was that he frustrated me. They said they thought he had bipolar disorder, which made a lot of sense to me. When dealing with this, I realized I could not blame or condemn myself for what happened, but I could take responsibility. I could take greater care when I interacted with anyone that visibly showed potential hurt or brokenness, and especially the people that bothered me. Not knowing what people are capable of or what they might be struggling with. I'm not in a position to condemn, but I always have the opportunity to love. Whether that was talking to him more, having more patience, or whatever, I decided that I would not let his suicide depress me, but I would let it have significance. Today, God Today, God calls us to take responsibility for our own sin and be humbled by how much we have been forgiven for our sin, how much we have been loved and show it to the world. I believe God is calling us to empathize with the hurt and the broken, just as Jesus said, let the first one throw the stone that has not sinned. He is saying, those of you that have been forgiven, be the first ones to help the broken. And I believe that is our call today. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be more loving and you would let your resurrection be so real in our lives. Lord, we give you praise in the glory. Amen. Adam, I'm going to ask that you uh, stay there and just uh, move the slides through as we just move into a communion for those that are watching on Facebook. But as we celebrate Holy Communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, I just wanted to uh, read to us a passage from 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote these letters. And as your home, and if you have not prepared uh, cracker, bread, uh, juice, and you want to go and get that, uh, you can certainly feel free to do so as I read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 31. It's a tremendous reminder that God's table is open for everyone. It's a tremendous uh, reality that God cares for all that we're going through. It's the, the notion that because we have sinned, we need a savior and in our sin, God loves us too much to leave us there so that we can have forgiveness of sins. So Adam, if you would just scroll through uh, the scripture as I read. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant between God and his people. 
an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And as I may have been muted, I apologize for can uh, hear now. And so as we uh, read, I continue with verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthy is guilty of sitting against the body and of the Lord. So Adam and I have these portable, disposable, I don't know what they're called. They're popular during COVID. Our representations of God's body and his blood. And that's what communion is. It's nothing special. Like we don't believe like this is actually his body and his blood. We aren't cannibals. But we do understand what he said to his apostles and what Paul tells us here, the importance of remembering a sacrifice that brings salvation, whether caught in adultery or plagued by a mental illness, God loves us. And some things that people think are sins that we would deem a sin, it might not be. Maybe it's we simply need medication. We simply need prayer. We simply need the strength of the body of Christ to say that we are with you. But in either case, we take this wafer that tastes like styrofoam. And we remember what Jesus said, that this represents my body broken for you, on earth for you, sacrifice that we might have life. So let's take and eat remembering him. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your choice to obey your Father and to endure such scorn and shame and pain that we might have abundant life. And this juice, the fruit of the vine, which represents your blood that was shed for us, that we could believe when Jesus said, you have not been condemned, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We can believe that God does not condemn us, but he calls us to a higher purpose. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to remain with him and God, that we could find his strength, his rest, his hope, his peace, his joy, knowing that we are not condemned by the temptation that we face, but we are more than overcomers. We are his ambassadors. We are loved. We are his masterpiece. We are dearly chosen. He calls us Friends, we are his. We take and say thank you, Jesus, for your blood that made this possible, for your sacrifice that gives us life. Drink now and remember him. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God, that even though we are tempted, we give in to temptation, even though we sin that you have provided a way. Let us not make excuses to do what we want to do and say you love us no matter what, but let us strive 
to become like you, whole, complete, free, and healed. We thank you for your promise. May we see with your eyes with great empathy as we desire for our own actions. May we display your grace to others. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And finally, I want to uh, close in prayer for Adam as he leaves us at the end of this week. We go to district conference in New Jersey together. Then he has a uh, summer uh, job at Camp of the Woods in Speculator, New York. And then he returns for a senior year at Houghton College. So, Adam, uh, we want to pray for you. And for those on screen, there's no special power. It just shows agreement if you just want to extend a hand and uh, say that you agree in this prayer for Adam. So Jesus, we thank you for Adam. We thank you for his life. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for you, the creation that he is and that he is becoming. We thank you for the plan and the purpose of his life, whether it's vocational ministry, whether it's social work, whether it's psychology, whether it's being a carpenter and just living you and sharing your love with those that he interacts with. God, we thank you that you love him and that you have created him for this time, for this day, to display you. May he not only know your love, but He may he make you known. Jesus, we thank you for him. Encourage him. Be the lifter of his head, but more than anything, may he know that you are his Savior, that you are his Lord, that you lead him well. We courageously take the next forward, take the next step forward, in obedience to you. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, amen, everybody. Hopefully we'll see you at the 9 a.m. worship gathering for those uh, online, whether today or in the future, that you would invite others to join us to celebrate God and his salvation communion. And it's always a special time. And uh, we're so grateful, even online, that we can celebrate the Lord's table together. Be blessed this week. Amen and amen.